my family. It's all because I couldn't love a motherless child. You are a Stark. You might not have my name, but you have my blood. Something just a little different to start off this particular feedback podcast this time around. It's the audio from the trailer teaser that featured Kit Harrington and Sophie Turner and Maisie Williams. And note that I don't say Jon Snow and Sansa and Arya. Note that I do call them by their actors' names, and I've got a reason for that. And we're going to talk about that trailer here in just a little bit before we get into all of the great feedback that I've gotten from you guys over season five. I really appreciate you taking the time to submit and for the new reviews and everything. We're going to get to all of that soon. But first, I got to tell you, mattsaudioblog.com is where you can find all of the back episodes of this podcast. That's M-A-T-T-S audioblog.com. And if you have feedback for the next time around, we'll have another feedback podcast between seasons six and seven or at the conclusion of season six. And I would love if you would submit any thoughts that you have about season six or anything about Game of Thrones that you have or about the podcast or what have you do so by sending emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com or you can tweet to at mattsgotblog on the Twitter as well. You can also find at mattsaudioblog.com podcast app links. As well, and if you would take the time to leave me a review, just as Sethabel and as uh, Tapping Along did this time around, and I would very much appreciate it. That's what helps me stay more noticeable among all of the other 13 billion Game of Thrones podcasts that are out there. That's enough of the business, but speaking of all the 13 billion podcasts that were out there, everybody just completely exploded with this new teaser trailer. I want to give my thoughts about it next. So, my thoughts on this particular teaser trailer will probably disappoint most of you. Unlike the 17 billion other Game of Thrones podcasts, YouTubes, online resources like winnerscoming.net or Watchers on the Wall or whatever YouTuber that you're watching or whatever podcast that you're listening to, they're all trying to tell you that they're gleaming something out of this. Folks, there is nothing, absolutely nothing to gleam about this. It was promotional, absolutely promotional. Why? Because those three characters, so to speak, were filmed 
The actors filmed this well after it was filmed, and they did everything to be iconic. Nothing more than iconic, nothing more than to just get you interested in subscribing to HBO. This is the most pirated show in television history, without doubt. HBO wants you to subscribe. And I know people will say, well, you know, sometimes the network releases things that the showrunners don't really want out there. If you gathered any clues like that, I don't know how. Think about it. HBO wants you to subscribe this season. This is the final season of one of the most epic television series that this network has ever had, that any network has ever had. Do you think they want to give you a clue about anything? No, they want you to subscribe. So even if you think that maybe there are some exceptions to that, where previews or what have you, Dave and Dan didn't really want out there. I'm telling you that in this case, nobody wants you to know anything. Even the icon of Arya drawing needle tells you that this is nothing more than promo. Because if the cold was coming in and if it was really White Walkers, she'd be grabbing that Valyrian steel dagger that used to be Littlefinger's. Not needle, which would do nothing. It is an interesting way to sum up the last seven seasons, though. I loved how you walked by Liana, who was the last person we heard say anything about John. Then you go by Catelyn, who said that actually to Talisa in season three. And then you go back in time to season one, where Ned says things. But it's all done iconically and nothing more than that. If you're trying to gleam something from this, don't. I mean, yes, the White Walkers and all are coming to Winterfell. That's nothing that we didn't already know. There is nothing to gleam from this trailer. The music was interesting. So I'm really pleased about that. Like I said, it was interesting that they went back through the seasons with each little quote about John. But there's nothing to gleam about what's going to happen in season eight from this that we don't already know. Yes, the White Walkers, in order to get further south, have to go through Winterfell at some point. So there, there's probably more you could gleam from the original teaser trailer with all of the, the fire coming from one side and all of the ice coming from the other side than you can from this. This was done nothing more than to make you subscribe to HBO or HBO Now or however you're going to get this material. They don't want you getting it out there on a torrent. That was the purpose of this teaser and the only purpose of this teaser. So for all of you people who spent 30 minutes in a podcast or 60 minutes in a podcast or 60 minutes on a YouTube going however you went and coming up with crazy ideas in a very vague way so that you could say, oh, see, I was right about that later on. I love how vague you people get. And then you aren't able to follow up with it except, yeah, see, I kind of mentioned that. I mean, this is not the podcast for you if that's what you want. If that's what you want, find somebody else. I thoroughly enjoyed the trailer. It made me excited for season eight. That was its sole purpose. And that's all I have to say about that. I do want to real quickly, get into thanking some people who left 
reviews on different podcast apps this time around, as I always do at the beginning of each feedback podcast. We'll start in the U.S. iTunes store. This one from January 18th from Tapping Along, who gave the podcast five stars. Thank you very much. And said, GOT's Hidden Gem. I appreciate that too. What a joy to, quote, rediscover Mr. Murdoch's entertaining and expository musings. Matt's analysis of the scenes and themes of the GOT slash A Song of Ice and Fire universe are always insightful and informative, but it's his heady interpretation of the musical impact that really sets this podcast apart. By breaking down sweeping themes into easily understandable bite-sized pieces, Matt can give even the most casual of music admirers a deeper understanding of the power of melodic prose. This gift translates into an ability to truly appreciate its applications on an even larger sense. Although I initially discovered Double M's talent for entertainment interpretation and analysis through another source, I am thrilled that his return to the airwaves, so to speak, around rich storytelling, orally and thematically, for Game of Thrones has happened. Thanks for the gem, Matt. Thank you for the review. I very much appreciate it tapping along. This one from way back in November from Sethabel was five stars and says thrilled. So excited to see Matt back at it. The world of Game of Thrones was lesser without you. Thank you for the welcome back, Sethabel. And finally, this was an iTunes that I don't know if I mentioned before or not, but this one is from the Norwegian iTunes store. I do remember getting an email from this person saying, you didn't read my review um, and I cannot remember if I made good on the promise to do so or not, but I am doing so now. Uh, it's from way back August 11th of 2018 uh, that says it's from Post Buy, and it's five stars. Love it. Matt knows everything about Game of Thrones and has lots of interesting perspectives and thoughts on the show. I really enjoy his analysis of the music and recommend this podcast for everyone out there. Thank you very much, Post Buy for that review and for the email to remind me that you had left a review. And folks, if I've not included your review, if you're on a, say like iTunes Australia or iTunes wherever or Stitcher or whatever other podcast app that you can leave a written review on, please, please, please send an email to mattsaudioblog.com and say, Hey Matt, you missed me. Get on it. And I promise you I'll get it in the next podcast. That's the way we roll around here. Um, my brain is constantly scattered now with having to pre-record and then do school and do all these other kinds of things. Um, so sometimes I slip and I don't get to check all of the iTunes stores or the Stitcher store or maybe some other store that allows you to leave a written review. Just point me in the direction by sending an email to Matt's Audioblog, M-A-T-T-S Audioblog at gmail.com. And I promise you, your review will be read. Whether you loved the show or this podcast, I mean, or whether you hated this podcast. Uh, it's fair for everybody to voice their opinion and for that opinion to be heard. So I really appreciate you taking the time to leave me these written reviews, guys. We've got lots of emails, mostly from Sandy and from Peter from Australia. We'll get to those next. Feedback. Your feedback on episodes of Game of Thrones or the A Song of Ice and Fire book series. This is the part of the feedback podcast that I am always excited to get to, and it's your thoughts that you've submitted to me through email or Twitter or what have you. And 
normally what I do is I separate like the three word submissions or the brothel made submissions out and I put them in their own little sections with the music and everything underneath them like normal. This time around, I'm really crunched for time. I apologize, but I'm just going to read every single email all the way through. Probably not going to comment too much because I feel like your points are more important for our listeners to hear than my comments on your points. So unless you ask a direct question in your email, I'm probably not going to address too much. Um, Again, my time restraints uh, make me a bad podcaster, and I apologize for that. But I really appreciate you taking the time to submit these thoughts. And here we go. We're going to start with an email from Sandy. I'm just picking these out of my email inbox at random order. But this one is from Sandy in regards to Season 5, Episode 10, Mother's Mercy. Sandy says, Gosh, Matt, I didn't really think I'd be able to get in all 10 episodes, but here I am. There were so many meaningful moments that I would have to write a book to cover them all. Oh, wait, somebody already did that. Laugh out loud. Yes, George R. R. Martin. George, finish Winds of Winter. That's my only comment there. Uh, As far as uh, her comments about the episode in our podcast, she says, You're right. Lena did a masterful job with facial acting. I did feel badly for her, but let that be our secret, okay? Cat's out of the bag, Sandy. Sorry. That's what happens when I read emails in their completion. Um, However, I would say to Cersei, when you play the Game of Thrones, your children die. It's not worth it. (laughs) I like that very much. From Jamie to Marcella to Theon and Sansa, the killing of Jon Snow, and yes, even Brienne and Stannis, the whole episode was full of sadness, a sense of loss, anger, frustration, missed opportunities, terror, and senseless death. But we did get a little satisfaction for Brienne and a bit of hope for Sansa and Theon. I didn't see much of the mother's mercy, though. Oh, well, it is Game of Thrones after all. Yeah, the mother's mercy may not necessarily be what we would consider actual mercy, right? Uh, Sandy goes on to say, Arya was really scary, which resulted in her being excruciatingly terrified. That was hard to watch. Agreed. I did have a question for you, though. When Miranda's had Sansa cornered and Sansa said, if I'm going to die, let it happen while there's still some of me left. It struck me that maybe that triggered something in Theon that allowed him to break free from Ramsay's hold and take action. What do you think? I think that's a pretty good thought. Actually, I like that idea. I hadn't really thought of that. So, yeah, uh, if you're asking me the question, I endorse that idea. Um, Sandy goes on. One other thing I noticed, when Brienne passed sentence on Stannis, she was wrong about one thing. Brinley was not, by the laws of succession, the rightful king of the Seven Kingdoms. In that instance, Stannis was right in naming his younger brother a usurper. Excellent point, and and true. Brienne did say that. I guess to her, to Brienne, um, Stannis didn't count. But uh, technically, yes, Brienne was totally wrong in saying that. Um, Those are the words, And Brienne sticks to the words, I suppose, not unlike Ned Stark did when he cut off Will's head in the very beginning of the series. Uh, Sandy's brothel mates for this particular episode, Sansa and Theon, for obvious reasons. The one bright spot on the episode and three words, huge snowdrift. It would take a lot of guts to make that jump. Absolutely. And a huge snowdrift. 
to make that jump for anybody. Um, there's often been questions about that in the books. There's been questions about that in the television show. Um, I'm willing to just let bygones be bygones with that one because it didn't really look like the snow was piled up quite high enough, at least not to my liking. But who knows? Maybe against that wall, you know, the drift had accumulated a lot more than, say, if they'd have been on the other side of the ramparts. That's all I got to say about that. Thank you, Sandy, for that particular email. We move on to a new email, this one from Peter from Australia. And uh, this one is in regards to uh, the iTunes stuff that's been going on. As many of you might be aware, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, my feed has been in all kinds of disarray, depending on what podcast app that you're listening to. Uh, first of all, let me just apologize for that. But Peter says this, Dear Matt, so good to see your excellent podcast filling up my podcast feed. However, your season five, episode three podcast and onwards are listed as 10 minutes long and go straight into status or played in instant. Also, on Stitcher, Season 5, Episode 3, and onwards are not listed at all. It might be something wrong on my side, of course. I am able to listen on YouTube, though a bit cumbersome because it does not play in background on the phone. This is not a big crisis. This is for your info. I guess a quick check with one or two more listeners can clear it out if this is a Peter's phone issue or a bigger issue. Peter, it was not just your issue. Um, I wrestled for two weeks straight trying to get my feed. It turned out to be a hosting issue, which I have now hopefully found a way around. But in the result of getting things straightened out, some of the apps are not getting all of the episodes still, um, or at least not at the time that they're supposed to be getting them. For instance, Acast... When I was trying to mess around with everything just to get episodes out there, they kind of said, okay, see ya. They, they deleted my page, which I don't blame them for. Absolutely don't blame them for. I was messing with things and the, it was updating the feeds weirdly and irregularly. And um, this was really for somebody who's been podcasting now for, what, 10 years? Um, close to 10 years. Yeah, 10 years. Wow, 10 years. Anyway, for someone who's been podcasting for 10 years, this shouldn't have happened. I should have been able to figure this out long before. Now, the Stitcher feed just randomly updates when it wants to, and there's nothing that I can find to do anything about that. It seems like the Monday issues seem to update the feed, but then the Thursday issues don't show up until the new Monday issue does. So you're not getting them exactly, you're not getting the Thursday issues when you're supposed to. And I don't know how to fix that. I've been in contact with Stitcher and I, it's been very cumbersome for me to try and keep up with this, especially with trying to, to go to school. So as long as it does continue to update on Mondays and you get the last Thursday podcast, I'm really not going to worry about it too much. I apologize that you're not getting the content when you did. Try a different podcast app. Or, of course, if, if it's too frustrating for you, I totally understand if you don't want to listen to the podcast anymore. Um, there's just nothing else that I can seem to do about the Stitcher feed uh, at this point. Um, there are plenty of other feeds that seem to be now updating properly and with the full episodes. Uh, iTunes, I think I have fixed. Google Play, I think I have fixed. 
um, several of the other. I can't remember all of the apps that I have listed on the website right now, but it seems like Stitcher is the only one that is kind of the lagger right now. And uh, I really apologize to the folks who, of course, <laughs> are wanting to listen to it on Stitcher. Um, my bad. Uh, and I don't know how to do anything except say, I'm sorry, and let's hope that this thing filters itself out or find another podcast app, and hopefully that'll work for you. So thank you, Peter from Australia, for that email. Moving on to Sandy. Once again, this is for Season 5, Episode 2, House of Black and White. And Sandy says, I have to admit to having difficulty with this episode because I was so dreading watching the Dorn fiasco again. A few tidbits. Pod really needs to learn how to drive a getaway horse better, although I do think he's much improved. <laughs> uh, two, Kyburn asking for the dwarf's head grossed me out. Again, he's so creepy. Yeah. Uh, three, I really liked how Kevin let Cersei know he was wise to her manipulations. Too bad Jamie doesn't take after his uncle in that regard. Number four, I had forgotten how much I enjoyed Sam's jabs at Slint before the vote for Lord Commander. Way to go, Sam. Thumbs up. I love all those thoughts, Sandy. Those are all great. Sandy continues, As far as big things, I only have John refusing Stannis' offer to legitimize him. On the one hand, how difficult emotionally it must have been for John to turn down the thing he wanted most all his life. Really makes you feel for him. On the other hand, he was raised by Ned. I won't use the word honorable, not that he didn't strive towards that goal, but above all, I see Ned as a man who kept his promises to the best of his ability. It hurt him to do that. It hurt Cat and John also, but maybe he thought hurt was better than dead. Isn't it odd that sometimes it's the things that we do that affect people, and sometimes it's the things we don't do? Side note, I agree with you about Jacken's motives for training Arya. Before he left her, he said that if she came with him, she would be able to cross all the names off of her list. That sounded to me as if she would gain the skills and agency to do that. I also agree Danny did the right thing to execute Mosador. I'm not sure why she was surprised at the reaction that she got from people. What do you think? Yeah, um, it was a tough decision for Danny, and I will go on the record now. I, I don't think I felt this way. Uh, when I first watched this episode, I was still watching the television series uh, up until season five, episode six. Um, but I, I remember, uh, and one of the things that I used to give Kelly a whole bunch of trouble about was the fact that Danny had made this decision, which was why Drogon didn't want to be anywhere near her. That Drogon was flying as fast and as furiously away from Danny as possible by the time that Tyrion and Jorah saw Drogon. However, I did have to reconsider that. And when you look at the logistics and what is actually correct and right and within the law, Danny absolutely made the correct decision. Now, she didn't expect that reaction, I guess, uh, because she hoped, I suppose, that they would have a same sense of values towards the law as she did. Perhaps an exclamation could be that the slaves have never been subject to anything except tyrants threatening violence against them if they did something wrong. 
And perhaps they saw Danny in that same light in that instance. But that's just my thoughts. Um, and there's no proof, of course, to that whatsoever. Just, just my impressions. Uh, Sandy's three words for this episode. I'm not afraid. Arya said that in response to the captain after the horn blew, announcing their arrival to Bravos. Good for her being brave, but isn't it a bit sad to think that she's been through so much that fear is almost a foreign concept for her? True. Uh, she does revisit that from time to time, in my opinion, uh, especially when the wave starts coming around trying to stab her in the stomach. Um, but she does develop a plan. Um, so the fear doesn't keep her for a very long time. It just keeps her for a little, uh, from time to time. Will that fear return in a case here or there? Who knows? It certainly by season seven seems to be gone, and that is sad. Anyway, let's move on to Sanders' email about season five, episode three, High Sparrow. I really enjoyed listening to you, Kelly, and Susan. A lot of good insight and discussion, so thank you for that. There were many scenes that tugged at the heartstrings and so many that were clearly setups for the future. I don't have a lot to add what you already discussed. Mainly, I was struck by how many master manipulators came out to play. Cersei and Marjorie using Tommen, Littlefinger with Sansa, and Cersei with the High Sparrow, who will also use Tommen. The poor guy didn't have a chance. Remember when Cersei told Ned that when you play the Game of Thrones you win or you die? The first time I heard that, I thought of it in the terms of actual people playing the game. I didn't think about how others would get caught in the crossfire and die as a result, like Tommen. Do you think Cersei ever once considered that? Hmm. Um, for someone who seems so obsessed with the safety of her children, until the death of Marcella, um, it seems odd that she wouldn't consider that. But the whole purpose of getting rid of Ned was to save her children. And Ned was playing the Game of Thrones at that point as much as anybody else because he was going to throw Stannis in there. Um, well, he was going to tell Robert, and then Robert ended up getting hurt. I guess that's the way that actually went. And remember that it was Ned appreciating Cersei's love for her children, which is why he didn't say anything on Robert's deathbed. Or at least that was my impression. All right, uh, here are Sandy's three words for this episode. Bad beginnings abound. That's a good one, especially in regards to the High Sparrow and everything. Brothelmates, Podrick and the Getaway Horses. Bless his heart, he had them ready to go, and his riding is better. But driving a Getaway Horse is a pretty important job, and I think he needs a wee bit more practice. Very good. She finishes by saying, I know you mentioned Brienne telling her story, but every time I hear her say that, she realized she was the ugliest girl alive. Great lumbering beat. It breaks my heart. Boy, I'll tell you what. Brienne gets to me in that way, too. I just adore Brienne because she is so pure and she has been so hurt and she just keeps pressing on. She is the true Don Quixote of this particular series. Love it. Moving on to Sandra's about Season 5, Episode 5, Kill the Boy. A big thing. The Kill the Boy speech gets me every time. It's so intense, and I very much appreciate how John absorbs the lesson each of his mentors give him. 
makes it part of his fabric, of his character, and then acts on it. The kill the boy lesson leads to the freeing of Tormund, and what an intense scene that is, which leads to hard home, which is ultimately leads to John's assassination and all that follows. So yeah, a very big thing. Good point there. A surface thing is when Stannis, the grammatical guru, throws out his fewer line during the meeting of the Black Brothers discussion about going to hard home and letting the wildlings through the wall. Made me chuckle. It always strikes me how some of them can't get past their prejudices and hatred to even acknowledge that every dead wildling becomes a part of the army of the dead. It makes me shake my head sorrowfully. Another surface thing. Hisdar's morning after turned out to be a whole lot different than he imagined. Instead of being a dragon snack, he got a marriage proposal. Laugh out loud. Big sigh of relief. Lastly, I always love seeing Tyrion's reaction to Drogon. That scene is so awesome and well acted. Agreed. Especially when you consider that he was looking at nothing but the sky. Um, yeah, Peter Dinklage. He bleeping rocks. Let me just put it that way. Uh, brothel mates. Sandy's brothel mates for this particular episode. Gotta love me some Stannis and grammar. I love that one. That's a great one. Uh, and the three words. For me, it has to be kill the boy because it sets John and the Night King on a collision course. And we have no co concrete knowledge as of yet as to what that end will be. Very good, Sandy. Thank you for that email. Moving on to your email about unbowed, unbent, unbroken. Here we go. Sandy says, first, let me say I agree with and applaud your stand on the Sansa rape scene. It was beyond me to see how anyone could call it otherwise. I also think the showrunners totally skirted this issue for gain, and I do feel Cogman was basically thrown under the bus. I heard Brian on a podcast sometime back and got the sense that he truly loves George's work. Enough said about that. Just a few surface things. One, Littlefinger advises Cersei to let Stannis and Bolton battle it out, and he would come in with the Vale army and clean up. Maybe that's where he got the idea to let Jon and company battle the Night King, leaving her to deal with the winner of said battle, as stated in Season 7. Number two, I can't say enough about Ian Glenn's facial acting when Jorah found out about how his father was dead and how it happened. Totally touched my heart. Number three, so okay, maybe the Sand Snakes weren't quite as bad as I remembered, but in my defense, it could be because my expectations were low. Like journey to the center of the earth low. <laughs> Brothelmates, Jorah and Tyrion, it doesn't get much better than them. Good call. And three words, Cersei's fake writing. She doesn't have the commanding presence of her father. Tywin could put a person in their place with no effort at all. Nobody buys Cersei's poor imitation. Cheers from Sandy. Thank you very much, Sandy. Let's move on to this one regarding Season 5, Episode 4. This one is from Peter the Cave Knight, Season 5, Episode 4. I think Kelly was right in your discussion. The way Jamie has been looking on or at Brienne and how he acts when he is near her, there is a growing bond between them. Cersei has been pushing him too far, calling him coward and traitor, and even threatened him with death by the mountain. He also has been searching for the honorable thing to do, 
from season one when he chose not to kill Ned Stark outside Littlefinger's brothel. Remember how his father asked him about this whilst flaying the stag, and Jamie replied it was a noble thing to do. Jamie now wants to be honorable. Brienne will embrace him for trying. He has come to love Brienne, and as Kelly suggested, they foreshadowed his death in this episode. He will die in Brienne's arms. Very good, Peter. Really appreciate that one. That was great. Uh, yeah. Uh, think all you want on that. I'm not sure, but I'm not going to call anybody wrong here. This one from Sandy about the same episode, Sons of the Har Harpy, Season 5, Episode 4. Just some random thoughts and questions. Like Kelly, when the High Sparrow appeared on the scene, I was hoping for a, quote, good guy. However, after listening to him, I came away with the feeling that if something seems to be too good to be true, it probably is. It's hard to know characters' true motives sometimes, but to me, this sparrow seems to be a genuine fanatic, much the same as a Melisandre. Absolutely convinced that the cause is just, and the quest for power is mainly desired to further the cause, which makes him very dangerous. Cersei's quest for power seemed to be rooted in a desire to prove herself as a female, version of her own father, a force to be reckoned with, supposedly, in part for the family, whatever that means in her head, which makes her very dangerous. What do you think? Uh, those are good thoughts. I especially agree with you about the High Sparrow. He's, he's is a fanatic, and definitely by the time he gets to Tommen in season six and he's getting Jamie thrown out of the Kingsguard and all this other stuff, um, you definitely see that he, he, he's then in line with the throne. He basically can rule on a religious matter through Tommen. So that is his ultimate goal. I totally agree with you there. As far as Cersei being a, you know, a poor version of her father, but her reasoning behind that, uh, what you say here is as good enough for me uh, as it is for you. Sandy goes on to say, I recently spoke with a friend of my sister, who had just binge-watched all of the seasons of Game of Thrones. I was distressed to find out that she had very little insight on Jon's parentage. Did the show do a poor job of making that clear to non-book readers? She understood Lyanna was the mother, but was confused on the father. She's re-watching the whole series again. <laughs> Laugh out loud. Um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, she must have missed basically what Bran was saying. Um, or, or not being able to put together that Bran and, and Sam were saying in that scene, you know, okay, these two were legitimately married. Um, so I think she just kind of missed it. Um, and I don't think that it was put out all that poorly. Um, as we discussed, as Kelly and I discussed, was it Kelly and I? Yeah. As we discussed, there were so many hit you over the head things in this particular episode that says John is not Ned's bastard um, and figuring out the Liana thing is quite easy when you look at the shot of the baby and then you go to John's face in the very next scene as he's being named King of the North however um, the Rhaegar fathership unless you think that Liana was already pregnant when Rhaegar quote unquote kidnapped her instead of them running off together which is what seems obvious now, by that last flashback of Bran. 
unless you believe that she was already pregnant, I don't see how you could not think of Rhaegar as the father. But, you know, get, give your uh, friend of your sister another chance. Maybe she'll put it all together this time around. Anyway, uh, did the show do a poor job? It's it's a different medium. You know, when you can go on in a text and everything and there's big clues in the books. Um, I think it's easier to decide it in the books and much earlier on. I mean, I mean, as far as Game of Thrones, the very first book, it's very easy to start to postulate what's going on with Jon Snow. However, the television show did take a while to really start to lay it on because they realized they were getting to a point where they would have to reveal, I guess. And so they started laying it on thick, like in this episode. Sandra goes on to say, the scene with Stannis and Shireen was touching and heart-wrenching, knowing what's ahead. I had a silly thought recently. Do you think it's at all possible that in the book, the burning of Shireen might take place with permission of Selyse behind Stannis' back? Speaking of burning, here's a burning question. In book, why do you think Mel didn't burn Mance? I can't quite figure that one out. Also, if she had, do you think the sacrifice would have made the trek to Winterfell easier for Stannis. I'm glad John dodged the shadow baby bullet, aren't you? <laughs> Very good. Folks, th this is a lot of book questions where things could be completely different. And so I don't want to disqualify anybody's thoughts about what might happen in the books versus what might happen in the television show. And some of these subjects are a little bit touchy in terms of what the television show could possibly still borrow. I don't really want to comment too much more on that, uh, except to say all things in the books right now, because everything is still up in the air, is quite possible. Sandra's three words are for this episode are farewell to S Sir Barristan. And then she said, you will be missed. Absolutely. Uh, another character who is now dead on the television show, not yet in the books. Uh, Brothelmates, Cooper and Darnell, ooh, nice, and Jorah and Tyrion, just because I love both pairings. Very good. Uh, let's move on to the next email. This one from Peter from Australia, as opposed to Peter the Cave Knight. Um, this is in regards to Hardhome. Hi, Matt. Just a quick comment as I'm still listening to your podcast. I had the same feelings as Holly when this episode first came out. I remember thinking how sad it was at the time that you had missed it. Like Holly, I've been listening to your podcast for so long. I understood your reasons for stop watching, but I really wanted to see you to see this episode. I'm glad you came back. Uh, thank you, Peter. Really appreciate that. Yeah, um, I don't know. Uh, there, were, there was so much talk about Hard Home on the internet right after it happened that it was kind of hard for me to avoid that everybody thought that this was one of the best episodes of Game of Thrones ever. And I was kind of like, yeah, it makes me want to watch, but I'm not going to. Um, that one was, that one was the hardest heroin withdrawal for me probably was seeing all the, all the clutter on Twitter about that particular episode at the time. Uh, let's see, moving on to a new email. This one from Sandy regarding Season 5, Episode 7, The Gift. Matt, I really enjoyed your discussion with Holly. I don't have a lot to add, but I did remember that Picel and Kyburn identified the poison you had a question about, so I did some looking. 
They thought it was manticore venom, and also that Oberon had figured out some way to add a clotting agent to it in order to slow the poison and prolong the agony. Ooh, okay. Um, not much more except Ramsey reeks. See what I did there? And the sand snakes stink. That's all I can say about them. Oh, let me just say something here. Um, yes, the sand snakes were a disappointment for sure to book readers. I loved them in the books. And so, um, you know, I didn't see this episode when it first aired, but all through season five up to this point, I had totally been defending them uh, to no help because I just knew Dave and Dan was going to do something great with them, um, just like the books did. And I was wrong. That's all. They just needed them to get from point A to point B, I guess, um, which is a shame. It seems a waste. Um, but these kind of things happen with television, I suppose. Moving on, Sandy says, The episode and the previous episode when Marjorie and Cersei were both yelling, I am the queen, brought to mind what Tywin told Joffrey. Any man who must say, I am the king, is no king at all. Tywin was wrong about some things, but not about that, I think. I like that catch. Very good, Sandy. Um, I loved Sam's bravery where Gilly is concerned. Sam takes a licking and keeps on ticking. <laughs> and what more could be said about Maester Aemon than the words Sam spoke? Maester Aemon's dying always makes me sad. He was such a wonderful character. Agreed. Uh, Sandy's three words for this episode overplayed her hand. I have to admit, I do always watch, enjoy watching Cersei get caught in a trap of her own making. Well done, Cersei. And the brothelmates, Sam and Gilly, I love that relationship. So sweet. The only real bright spot in the episode. Yes, it was the only real bright spot in the episode. In fact, I uh, I, I don't remember. My my three words was something about not nothing happy happens or something like that. So good thoughts there, Sandy. Moving on. To this email from Peter from Australia. Hey Matt, I recently enjoyed your knowledge of Game of Thrones music. I've learned so much listening to your podcast about the music. Unfortunately, it goes in one ear and out the other. Will you release some sort of collection of just the music bits when you finish the podcast, either before or after the final season? I assume you will continue to do a podcast as this show finishes and the prequels begin. Do you know any details of the prequels yet? You probably have talked about it already, but I seem to have missed it all as I was in the hospital when it was announced. Loving your podcast, of course. Actually, Peter, I have not discussed it. I've not even really researched it. I'm still just trying to get through this rewatch of Game of Thrones. One thing at a time, baby. That's all I can do. One thing at a time. And as far as the, uh, like a, a volume of all of the musical analysis sections together, I did do that. I used to do that like every four or five episodes when I was podcasting about Lost back 10 years ago. Um, and so, uh, maybe a two volume set with all of the, you know, all of the musical analysis will be due after season eight is over. Um, there's, there are, and there are still some things we need to talk about on this particular podcast. We've not read the, the, the new Targaryen book, Fire and Blood. That definitely needs to be read. There will be Winds of Winter coming out someday, eventually. 
we'll definitely do that. And I've given some thought to the prequels. I'm going to give it a chance and I'm, I'm going to try and cover them, but I really don't have any more information about that. I'll tell you who does and who really likes talking about it is um, Axel Foley from Podcast Winterfell, my old podcast. I, I think him and Mike have had s- some discussions about that. You might want to check over there. If not on Podcast Winterfell itself, then check out the Daily DVR podcast. And I'm, I'm sure that they've they've talked about that with guests in the past uh, as well, in the more recent past. In fact, I thought I saw that they had put an episode out about that maybe just three weeks ago, four weeks ago. Anyway, hit up Axel on Twitter and, and find out um, what episode it is that he's been talking about that just to get you some information on it. Cause I, I have none and I apologize. I know I bad game of Thrones fan, right? Bad, bad game of Thrones fan. Uh, but yeah, I just haven't had time to even explore it yet. Um, I think it's going to be about the period of the long night, uh, which means we might not get some answers about uh, White Walkers in the finish of this season so that they got some stuff to hold back for that next, that new series. However, I'm not sure about that. Don't quote me on that. Um, I'm just guessing. And I don't, you know, I have to admit that I'm just guessing. Unlike the multiples of gas bags that are out there who will say anything vague just so they can say they were right later on. Do not like that. Do not like that at all. Anyway, let's move on to the next email, which is also from Peter from Australia. And here's an interesting question. He says, this might be a bit silly, but is there a small chance that Stannis is still alive? It was strange that they didn't show him actually dying. I can't imagine him being alive, but it could be a great surprise during the final season to have Stannis turn up to save someone at a vital moment. Interesting. Um, Do I believe that Stannis is still alive? No, personally, I don't. Uh, That scene when you see him raise his leg up and how much blood is there tells me that he had an artery nicked and that Brienne could have basically just stood there and watched him bleed to death. Um, The way we might see Stannis again is as a white. That would be horrible. Would it not? Or would it be fitting given all that he did? I don't know. Make up your own mind about that. If you have any thoughts about that, folks, or about any of these things that we're discussing in this feedback podcast, feel free to submit your own thoughts. Matt's audio blog at gmail.com. That's M-A-T-T-S audio blog at gmail.com. Moving on to this email from Sandy regarding season five, episode eight, Hard Home. Matt, I thoroughly enjoyed you, Holly, and Bubba. Great times. I doubt I'm going to have time to get to the last two episodes before the deadline. And yet you did, Sandy. And this one is basically just some comments on the convos with your guests. I totally respect your compassion for Cersei. You're a very sweet guy. I, on the other hand, side with your friends on this one. No, I don't feel Cersei in the, for Cersei in the least. Well, that's not strictly true. I did feel a good deal of satisfaction watching her slurp up water off the floor. But that's only because I know she's not real. Otherwise, I would at least give her a clean glass to drink out of. Okay. I gave a lot of thought to the Night King's motivations, and I think I have an answer for you. Look what happened to him. There he was, living his life, cutting trees to build some house, and suddenly he's gagged, bound to a tree, and some little weird little elf people shoving dragon glass into his chest. How would that make you feel? After that, his life doesn't improve much, does it? 
forced to live in a cold wasteland with only dudes around him. That has to be a disappointment at the very least, so he strikes out for warmer climates. The tip-off was when he faced John and raised his arms. I think that was pretty clear to all that he really wants a hug. <laughs> he was made into a war machine by the Children of the Forest. What's, that's what the whole The Door episode is about. His brand finds out that the Children of the Forest wanted all of the men dead, so they made this nuclear bomb in the Night King. I know you were not serious about most of that, but thank you. You gave me a chance to just shout for a minute. Uh, Sandy goes on to say, I'm with Holly. I love Ian Glenn's voice and swoons, she says. Oh, my. You people in Ian Glenn. Love it. Uh, discussion about Jock and not knowing what a girl would see in reference to the insurance guy. Didn't occur to me until your discussion, but I think it might be that he knew about the guy. She just he just didn't know if she would see it. Makes sense. That's a good thought, Sandy. Appreciate it. This episode made me think about the letter John received from Hardhome in the books, describing what was happening there. The phrase, dead things in the water, always haunted me. What is your take on that? Well, yeah, I, we did see Woon Woon as he was clubbing around, you know, using the big log to club around, shuffed some of those guys in the water. And there's nothing to say that um, in the books that the white walker, I mean, they don't, the whites don't need to breathe. Correct. So they could probably go on to water, but the show has made water a very definite barrier for these guys. When you look at this particular episode and you look at, um, especially the East Watts episode, um, obviously, um, this is one of those book show differences that, helps give the writers a place to give our good guys a chance to escape. I think that's the whole point of the water bit with those guys. Uh, Sandy's brothel mates for this particular episode, one, one and the flaming pole epic. Very good. I like that. And three words was going to be Jorah the Explorer, but then I decided to honor your compassion for Cersei Shame, shame, shame. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Sandy, for that email. Moving on to another email. This one, finally, from Sandy. And I believe this is our last one, other than the one where she sent me link to the conversation that Kit Harrington had about how he had to tell the cop uh, whether Jon Snow was alive or dead in order to get out of the ticket. Um, thank you for that link, by the way, Sandy. I appreciate it. But here's Sandy's. Final email about Season 5, Episode 9. I have to admit from the beginning, I didn't care for Stannis truthfully. I could never understand the Stannis is Manus hype. He was so cold, so stiff-necked, that he was totally unrelatable to me. I did notice that once the burning of Shireen took place, I didn't hear that chant anymore. Two things about him. First, when he said, forgive me to Shireen, apparently it never occurred to him, if you have to ask forgiveness... It's probably an indication that the thing you're contemplating doing is probably isn't right. And secondly, did you ever notice his commonality with Tywin? His statement, what's the life of one bastard boy against the whole realm, is the very same as Tywin's, what's a killing a few at dinner compared to thousands in battle? Both despicable men, in my opinion. Right on. Well, uh, yeah. Yeah. I can understand why, uh, to me, 
what I see with Stannis is the very first, or maybe it's the second episode that we ever see him, he's already getting down with somebody else besides his wife, right? And regardless of whether that's about passion or anything else, it's definitely about power and his desire to have the power as the king. So, you know, Ned was doing what was the checkmark right thing. Stannis would have been the next in line. But I don't think Ned would ever have imagined what he was actually empowering in somebody who didn't need that kind of empowerment. Moving on to another part of Sandy's email. My take on Danny at the fighting pit was that she resigned to her fate and that the appearance of Drogon was a surprise to her. I've heard a lot of people say he was drawn to the sounds and smell of blood, but that doesn't seem right to me. I believe it was Danny's emotional state that he picked up on. She was deeply upset all day over the fighting and the men butchering each other. She loathed it. The bond between her and Drogon is deep and mysterious, and that's why I think he showed up. Good thought there. Um, I have a question for you. Who carved the flaming heart war pieces on Stannis' table? The world may never know. Well, that is a good question. Well, Davos is pretty good with a, a whittling things. He wiggled that, whittled that stag. Uh, maybe he did them. Maybe he did them right before, you know, or somewhere while they were on their way to wherever it was they were camped out. Um, there's a pure guess. Uh, brothel mates for this particular episode. Shireen and the toy stag. Such a poignant scene. A real gut punch since we know that's the last time Davos and Shireen will ever see each other and that stag, as we know, will tell a sad tale to Davos in the future. I wonder how much he blamed Stannis or if he blamed it all on the Red Woman. That's an excellent question right there. Uh, and unless Davos says something in season eight about it, I guess we'll probably never know. Uh, finally, sign these three words, father, mother, help. Enough said. Very good, Sandy. And folks, that's the end of all of the emails. I do have to make a quick announcement here. Uh, as usual, I'm up against it. We've already started recording season six episodes. You'll hear some of the familiar voices that you've heard for season five. Kelly's returning. Baba's returning. Uh, Stephanie's returning. Holly's returning. I'm still trying to get a hold of Susan, maybe to do an episode or two, um, but uh, I'm going to need a couple weeks. We've started, like I said, we've started recording them. We've got like three of them down, but we need to record more. And uh, I'm going to put off releasing any new podcasts until a week from this Thursday. Um, so that will be January 31st. You will get season six, episode one, The Red Woman, at that time. In the meantime, if you have any thoughts about any of these emails or any of my opinions about these emails or anything about the podcast, feel free to email them, mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, mattsgotblog on Twitter. What am I saying all this? Bubba's just about to tell you. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on January 31st, 2019 to start season six.
You've been listening to Matt's audio blog. Find all contact information, back episodes, and podcast app links at mattsaudioblog.com.